Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell, new, da- new uh, girl dad. Colby, how's the new gig and uh, how's it being a dad so far? Uh, it's great so far. Yeah, she's a, a good baby and uh, getting a little tired. You know, it, it starts to add up on you after a few days of not great sleep. But uh, no, it's been a great first 10 days. She's awesome. Uh, yeah, we're loving every second of it. The I don't have any kids. Some people claim, and I'm sure the age matters a lot on this, but some people claim, oh, they, they sleep right through the night. They sleep fine. Others, usually in the first couple months, say they don't sleep at all. Where are you right now in the, uh, the sleep cycle? Right now, we're doing okay. I mean, when they're, when they're this little, you're, you're feeding them every three hours, right? So we've got alarms set every three hours throughout the night. Now, she does really good sleeping for the three hours in between feedings. Uh, but her body clock, she knows, I mean, that three hour mark hits, she knows. And I don't, one thing I wasn't prepared for, you know, everybody tells you like babies cry a lot. I wasn't prepared for just the sheer volume of it. I mean, there was one night, three or four days after we brought her home from the hospital where she was just fussy for like an hour and I was holding her, trying to get her to calm down at like one o'clock in the morning. And she is just screaming and just the sheer volume of it. I was not prepared for it was uh, it was pretty intense, but for the most part, she's been really good about sleeping between feedings at night. Uh, the problem is, I don't know about you, Carson. My wife, she's like, gets up, feeds the baby, goes back to sleep. She can fall right back asleep. But I get up, I feed the baby, I go lay in bed. I lay there for like an hour, mind racing, just head all over the place. I, I'm just, I'm a bad sleeper. So uh, I'm going to have to figure that out. That's a little bit more on me than on the baby. Are you a... Are you a fall asleep anywhere guy or are you uh it takes me an hour wherever I lay down guy? I'm pretty heavy sleeper. Once I'm laying down, I'm pretty much out. Now yeah. that's in my bed. Now I, I've never been able to sleep in cars or airplanes or, or things like that. I need like total darkness and peace and quiet, maybe even a fan, and then I'm just I'm out immediately. Yep. See, I envy that because I just Man, it's like last night I was so, so tired. Woke up at 4 o'clock to feed her, laid back down. Oh, my gosh, I had to have laid there for two hours before I fell back asleep. So that's that's more of a me problem than a baby problem. But, no, it's it's been all good. Love being a dad. Uh, it's I tell you what, this weekend's going to be hard. Got a bachelor party this weekend. We're going up to Prairie Dunes. We're playing Prairie Dunes Friday and Saturday. So leaving the baby overnight. And that's going to be a little little tough. You get a little attached to the baby whenever she comes along. So uh, we'll see how this weekend goes being away from her overnight. I'm surprised she's letting you go on said bachelor trip so soon after uh, after she birthed the child. Uh, well, she's got a bachelorette party in two weeks. She's doing the same thing. So we figured we might as well. You know, it's going to be hard to leave the baby at two weeks, at four weeks, at two months, at four months. Might as well just rip the Band-Aid off, realize that it's okay to leave overnight. The baby will still be happy and healthy whenever you get back the next day. So we're just ripping the Band-Aid off because uh, we've got some good friends getting married in May, and we're both in the wedding. So uh, we're, we're making it work. We're figuring it out as we go. I was going to say, uh, I'm sure she had a, a trip of her own planned the second you got back. So that, that, that makes total <laughs> sense, but that's, uh, that's parenting, right? And, uh, you got to, uh, enjoy your first, you know, few weeks as a, as a father. How long has it been? What was it, last weekend? 
Uh, 10 days. She's an April 3rd baby. She was born about 3.30 in the morning. Uh, Yeah, Saturday into Sunday was a very long day. But, yeah, April 3rd. So you got to watch your first Masters as a father, right? She was born earlier enough to where you weren't in the hospital having to miss any golf. So you got to just plop down the couch, feed her every three hours as you watched golf, I'm assuming, for 11 to 12 hours each day. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. That the funny thing is my wife has always worked Thursday and Friday of the masters. So she has only had to experience my full masters degeneracy on Saturday and Sunday well, on Saturday and Sunday, the relevant tea times don't really start until noon, one o'clock in the afternoon. So you only end up really watching about six hours of golf, but Thursday and Friday is a different experience. Thursday to Friday is like 11 straight hours with four screens. So when my wife woke up Thursday morning of the masters, cause I let her sleep into like 11. I took the baby whenever I got up at eight to watch golf. Um, she came in there and I had two TVs going. I had two computers going all the screens on and baby's in there with me. And she came in and she was like, Oh my God, we're doing this for two days. Aren't we? I'm like, yep. You're getting the full Thursday and Friday masters experience, but she was a trooper. She, uh, she got through it, survived the overwhelming amount of golf that was, that was being broadcast in the Powell house. And it was a good way to bring the baby into the, the golf world. Did you shed a tear watching tiger back out there? Uh, nearly. Yes, it was. It was awesome. I know it, his body broke down on him on the weekend. He went 78, 78, but that Thursday, Friday, especially the Thursday, whenever you could tell that he kind of felt good and, you know, he felt confident over the ball, felt confident over the putter. It was, it was pretty sweet. So, uh, watching him was awesome. Watching some of the OSU guys was great. Taylor Gooch in his first masters top 15s, which was awesome. Uh, Victor Hovland had a little trouble with the chipping. He had maybe the low light of the tournament with uh, the chip shot he hit on number four, I think on Friday where he duffed it like five yards in front of him on a 40 yard shot, but all in all, uh, yeah, it was a great masters and watching tiger uh, as I held my newborn was, it was a good experience. My tiger to make the bet, uh, make the cut bet cashed relatively easily. I, I thought he would play well enough to make the cut. It's one of the easiest cuts to make. Although some big names like Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth, Sander Schauffele did not make the cut. It was kind of a, not very much masters like in terms of the weather. It was kind of cold on Saturday, windy throughout. It was it was very kind of odd weather for for Augusta in April. But I th- I thought Tiger would play well enough to make the the cut, and he did. And I just I I fully expected him to shoot eighty on the weekend. He he shot seventy eight uh, the last two rounds of the weekend. So it was kind of kind of what I expected. But it just incredible that he was able to play at all let alone make the cut just based on what he's dealt with did you see how poorly he was walking off 18 once he was he was done with his final round like it's his body is is broken still very much so yeah it is and I'll be honest I think it's 50 50 whether he plays at southern next month and I hope that he's there because that tournament is just going to be unbelievable. So many in-state guys are going to be there. And if he were to be there, I uh, still don't know about Phil. Rumors are that Phil could be back by that time to defend at the PGA. It's going to be an unbelievable event that would only be enhanced by Tiger Woods being there. But, man, he the Masters is his favorite tournament of all time. He wanted to be there. He extended the made cut streak. He's got 22 consecutive made cuts at the Masters, which is just insanity whenever you look at like you said guys like Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth, Xander Schauffele missing the cut this week and he's made 22 in a row and he did it this year uh, basically on one leg it uh it was tough watching him walk 
those final 18 holes on Sunday because you could tell he was hurting, hurting, hurting. So hopefully he will be at Southern Hills uh, because, like I said, that will only enhance what will already be an incredible experience with, uh, you know, so many Oklahoma State guys, Victor Hovland, uh, Taylor Gooch. I'm, I'm sure some other Alex Norin. Uh, I don't know if Charles Howell the third's in the field. I think he'll have to do a little bit to be there, but it's going to be an unbelievable event. And hopefully uh, Tiger will be joining a, a slew of Cowboys at Southern Hills next month. That would be incredible. I'm, I'm going to be up there in Tulsa. Like I know you are, and I would love to see Tiger back there. I was there in 07 when he, when he won at Southern Hills, probably the, probably the major we see the fewest shots of his highlight reel of, out of all of them out of all 15 we rarely ever see a shot from southern i'm not sure why that is maybe there just wasn't any iconic shots other than him missing the putt for for 62 they call it a 62 and a half because it lipped out when he shot 63 i believe on saturday uh, i think i was there for that round but uh, you mentioned it taylor gooch Continues to play well. I felt so bad for him, Colby. I was pulling for all the guys coming in, like Charles Schwartzel and Danny Willett to bogey coming in, because if Gooch would have finished top 12, he would have guaranteed a spot in next year's Masters. And he's well inside the top 50 right now, but you would have loved to have that automatic berth, no matter what occurs the rest of uh, the year and going into next April. But tell you what, Colby, Taylor Gooch is becoming not just one of the most consistent Oklahoma State golfers, one of the most consistent golfers on the PGA Tour and a guy that a lot of people look at at big tournaments that he can contend. And I, th I thought, well, he wasn't necessarily in contention at the Masters. He, he was up there on the leaderboard early in the tournament and, and never really left around the, around the leaderboard. Yeah, he played really well, especially considering it was his first Masters and it was in such – I don't know. Maybe it was almost an advantage because it was unique conditions. They talked all week about the West wind, which is not the normal wind for Augusta, made the course play different. It was colder. Uh, so it was kind of good conditions for a native Oklahoman to go out and play in the wind. But Taylor Gooch, you know, you, you look at guys like Victor Hovland, Matthew Wolf, Ricky Fowler, all these just like superstars that immediately vaulted from college to the PGA Tour. And Taylor Gooch was a little different route. It took him a little longer to get his career kickstarted. He went uh, to Q School. He went to the McKenzie Tour, Corn Ferry Tour, and he gradually worked his way up to the PGA Tour. And now he's gradually just over the last few years increased, increased, increased his world ranking. And now he's the 34th ranked player in the world. Like you said, if Danny Willett misses a putt on 18, then he gets in to a T12 finish, which guarantees him a start at next year's Masters. Instead, he'll have to remain in the top 50 for another year, but I don't have any qualms about him doing that, barring injury, because he's playing really good golf, and T14 in his first start at Augusta is huge, and now the next major, he gets to come home and play right down the road at Southern Hills, and I mean, I tell you what, I, I think he would be rooting for the wind to kick up just a little bit. Maybe not the winds we've had over the last five, six days in the state where it seems like everything that's not tied down is blowing away. I've got, you know, we've got a welcome sign on our front porch. I went outside uh, earlier to check the mail and it's blown 10 feet across the front porch into the, into the uh, flower bed. So hopefully we don't have these gale force winds, but 15 to 20 mile an hour wind, you get Taylor Gooch out at Southern Hills. Maybe he can contend and try to put some good rounds together. So uh, I like what he's doing with his game. And uh, like I said, unless I missed something, I'm pretty sure he was the low cowboy at Augusta. So good for him. Yeah, great week for him. And, and you're, you're so right. Like college golf is in the, the PGA Tour and the professional golf is so interesting to me because you look at a guy like Taylor Gooch, who, as you mentioned, had to kind of grind a little bit to, to get his card and, and to be where he is now and go to some of the, the smaller tours and things like that. But you look back to his career at Oklahoma State, he was obviously great started as a freshman at a place like Oklahoma state 
He was one of the best amateurs coming out of high school. But you just look at some of his teammates, Peter Uline, who was the number one amateur at one point. Uh, Morgan Hoffman, who we'll talk about a little later, was also up there near one of the best amateurs. Kevin Tway, a phenom, son of Bob Tway, the PGA Tour uh, major championship winner. And you look at all of his teammates that were more highly regarded at the time, and he's had a he's having a better pro career. And I think it's just a, it's a classic example of how hard it is to make it on the PGA Tour and that not necessarily what you are when you're 18, 19, 20 is what you're going to be when you're 30. Because now Taylor's in his absolute prime at, at 30, I believe, 31 years old. And he's having a better career than a lot of his more highly touted uh, Oklahoma State you know, teammates teammates are really are really having yeah he is and you know if you would have asked me uh off of some of those teams who would have been the guy highest in the world rankings I don't know that I would have said Taylor Gooch and and not because I didn't think he was a good player uh you know I was a year behind him in high school we were both 5A so we were in a lot of the same fields we I wasn't competing against him trust me we just happened to be in the same fields um and you know you knew that he was different back then but I mean, you don't know who's going to make it to the tour and who's not whenever we're 16, 17 years old. So uh, to see him do what he's done and what's really cool, Carson, is he's just he stayed true to his Oklahoma roots. I mean, we've had him. Uh, he's a great friend of the 73rd Hole podcast. We, we were able to get together with him in person just a few weeks ago. I think the week after the Players Championship is when we sat down with him. And, you know, he talked to us about the John Conrad redesigns and, uh, you know, the stuff going on out at Oak Tree National. And he's just he's an Oklahoman through and through. So to see him stay so true to his roots, just loyal and true Oklahoman and Oklahoma State guy uh, is really cool and just makes him really easy to root for. No doubt. And so, yeah, he was the highest finishing cowboy. You know, Victor Hovland had a lot of expectations. The Masters just seems to suit him so well as far as his tee to green game, certainly off the tee and certainly with his approach. He's one of the best in the world at that. But Colby, he still doesn't have a top 10 at a major for a guy that's, you know, top five in the world. That's a that's a pretty surprising uh, statistic, but you mentioned the, the chipping woes. We all, it's been well documented. Victor himself has said, I suck at chipping <laughs> verbatim, is what he said. And while some of that I think is a little overblown because you don't win as much as he has if you're just awful at that, he, he, he struggles with it more than most. And the numbers would certainly suggest he's one of the worst around the greens on the tour. And so I thought it was a little overblown based on how much he's been able to win despite that. But it was on full display with that chip you mentioned where. <laughs> It was like a 40-yard pitch, and he hit it about 10 yards. Uh, he carried it about 10, 10, maybe it was five feet, 10 feet. It was, it was not it's, good. Yeah, I think you're being a little generous with the 10 yards. It's, it's so crazy. He's such a good player, and, and it's like you don't want to spend so much time trying to improve your chipping that you lose what you're great at because he's such a great ball striker, and obviously some things that he's doing are working. It's not like Victor Holland's some hack. He's the fourth-ranked player in the world. On planet Earth, he's the fourth-ranked golfer. And, he's, and he just struggles chipping from time to time. And, you know, every so often he throws out the real clunker like he did on that particular shot you talked about last week. He just – I don't know what it is. You, you need to get better at it while not taking time away from things that you're good at, and I don't know where you strike that balance. So hopefully at some point Victor Hovland can ball strike his way into contention at a major, and hopefully that's at Southern Hills next month in front of what would be a very friendly home crowd because – I mean, again, 
You know, Scotty Scheffler is blowing up. He's won four times in six starts. He's got a green jacket. Colin Morikawa has got two majors, a world golf championship. I'm ready to see Victor Hovland contend in some of these majors because he's that caliber of player. He's a top five player in the world with no top tens at majors. That That's weird to say. It doesn't even sound right rolling off the tongue. So hopefully that changes in the near future and he can ball strike his way into contention at Southern Hills, Brookline, or St. Andrews. Which one do you think... Which major, and you can even incorporate Southern Hills into that, but which major do you think sets up best for Victor? I've been trying to pinpoint that myself. That's a good question. I would probably lean toward the U.S. Open because he is such a good driver of the golf ball. So some other guys might get themselves in trouble in a U.S. Open setup, get themselves into more some of that deep rough. Whereas if he gets out there on a course where you have to hit the fairway, you need to hit greens, then maybe if everybody is having trouble chipping because the rough is so brutal at a U.S. Open setup, then maybe that neutralizes uh, his poor around the green performance a little bit. So I would probably lean U.S. Open because I think that's where he can maybe uh, just lean on his driver and irons a little bit more if the wind is down and, and maybe some of that thick rough makes everybody struggle around the greens and kind of neutralizes some of his problems. Yeah, I'd probably go with that or maybe the PGA just because I think you can go, you typically can go pretty low at the PGA. Last year at Kiowa was more like a U.S. Open, but traditionally that tournament you get to 14, 15 under. I think that would kind of suit him because he just likes to fire at flags, which yeah. might get him into some trouble at places like Augusta, the way those greens are, are sloped and, and things like that. Um, one guy who's really struggling is Matthew Wolf. <laughs> he Colby, he, he snapped an iron, what, like four holes in to his first round because he, he started out bogey, bogey, double or something like that. And, and So he started he started double on one. This was on Thursday morning. He doubled one. He bogeyed two. He bogeyed three. He hit a bad tee shot on four, and then he leaned all of his body weight on top of his iron and snapped it like a twig. I mean, look – He's always been a volatile player where he can either shoot his way up to the – he'll either win the tournament or miss the cut. He's kind of like a Bubba Watson where if he's hot, he's the best in the world. But if he's not, he might shoot 80. And, man, Colby, he's – and I, I do wonder how much of this is being as young as he is. I looked it up. He's made $7.5 million already. I wonder how much of his struggles – and he, he's been very open about his his uh, mental health struggles with dealing with, you know, failure on the PGA tour something he's never experienced in his golf life. There's a lot going on there, but I do wonder how much of this is he's made a ton of money, maybe not putting in the extra work he used to. I don't, I don't know. We're just, we're left to speculate Cole, because this is, this is one of the all time greats to come out of Oklahoma state. He nearly won two or three majors in, in 2020 and through 2021, you know, he's in the final pairing with Bryson if he made a single putt coming home, he would have won the PGA that Colin Morikawa won. And right now he's, he's struggling to make cuts. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's not even struggling to make cuts. He, he's not even in the ballpark, which it doesn't make sense. And we talked about it. Carson, Victor Hovland, fourth ranked player in the world, no top tens at majors. Matthew Wolf had that fall in 2020 where he finished runner up at the U S open and T four at the PGA championship. So he has two top fives at majors. Hovland doesn't have any top tens at majors. So he had so much success whenever he first came onto the scene, but then things started going poorly for Matthew Wolf. And for whatever reason, he just hasn't been able to write the ship. You know, I, I thought it was it just 
incredible how open and honest he was about some of the mental health stuff that he was going through last year. I don't know where any of that stuff uh, stands, and he's by no means obligated to open up every aspect of his life and tell us about every little bit of that. But, I mean, you watch him. He, he a few weeks ago, what was it, at Sawgrass, where he throws a club into the water on 18. Uh, you know, he, he's snapping a club at Augusta. I mean, does anybody see a guy who's happy to be out there playing golf? Because I don't. And and that's the part that is, is tough, I think, for, for people to watch and, and see a guy who just clearly is not enjoying playing golf right now. And I don't know how you get back to that. And right now, you know, he's had the World Golf Championships and, and all these other stuffs that come by virtue of his world ranking because you're top 50 in the world. You get to set your own schedule. You get to play in any event you want to. You get to play in the WGCs where no matter how you perform, you get a big fat check. You get to play in all the majors, all this other stuff. Matthew Wolf Carson is now down to 49th in the world. He very soon is going to be outside the top 50. He's going to lose out on some of those WGCs. He's going to look out, lose out on some appearances at majors, and he's going to have to find his game. Uh, otherwise, you know, he's just going to continue to dip. So I, I'm rooting for Matthew Wolf. I know we're all rooting for Matthew Wolf. Uh, I, I just hope that at some point he finds peace and golf becomes fun again because. I mean, you can just tell by watching him. He's not having fun right now on the golf course, and that is a tough, tough thing to overcome. Yeah, it really is. And I, I fully expect him to pull himself out of it. He's just going through a patch that, you know, happens in professional golf. These guys are really good. It's, it's hard to make cuts, but he, he has the talent, and he's proven himself at, at this, not only at this level, but certainly at the major championship level. Uh, what else can you say about Scotty Scheffler, Colby? I have faded him for the last two months. It has cost me – many dollars in golf pools. And I just, I can't bring myself to pick Scotty Scheffler because I just assume that, well, the next tournament, he's not going to play as well. This has to stop. And he, all he does is go ahead and win a green jacket. And I really thought Cam Smith kind of, kind of landed a haymaker early birdie in the first two and was right there to, to, to pull even on three and he chips in with that ridiculous shot. But what else can you say about Scotty Scheffler? I mean, this guy is just unbelievable. His around the green game is just – it was stupid how many chips he left right up by the hole. And what can you say about him, Colby? And you got to consider him the favorite at Southern Hills, don't you? Yeah, I would think so. By the way, Southern Hills, his favorite golf course. He's been on record with that multiple times. He said it again after he won the Masters that he loves Southern Hills and that that's his favorite golf course. So, yeah, he's definitely going to be the favorite going in there. And, Carson, I think part of the reason that people – because I was kind of right there with you where I, I just – I kept feeling like I needed Scotty to validate what he was doing. Even whenever he got to number one in the world after he won the match play, I'm like, okay, yes, he's on an insane heater, but is this a guy that can really go out and win majors and be that dude? And yes, it is. I mean, he took control of the Masters on Friday afternoon, and I mean, the lead got bigger and smaller throughout the weekend, but he never took his foot off the gas, really. He, he Even Sunday, through four holes, his lead had increased by a shot, and that just doesn't make any sense. I mean, the chip in on three, yeah, it hit the pin with some speed, but I mean, if you keep chipping them right up around the flag for four days, eventually one of them's going to hit the pin and drop. It just happened to do so at a massive moment. I think because his swing is a little weird, and his feet are sliding all over the place, and when he's trying to draw it he looks all flaily it's hard to to see that swing that's not as aesthetically pleasing as a Rory McIlroy or a Colin Morikawa or a Victor Hovland or somebody like that it's hard to see that swing and think 
undisputed number one player in the world, but he is the undisputed number one player in the world. Nobody is a better golfer than he is right now. Uh, it's, it's pretty great. Um, so yeah, I mean, good for him for going on this unbelievable run because this, I mean, four wins and six starts, four wins by the time the masters is over number one in the world. Not a lot of guys in the history of golf have gone on a heater like the one Scotty Scheffler's on, and the next major is being played at his favorite golf course. So good for him. He certainly validated that number one ranking. There's no doubt. Uh, interesting story this week on the PGA Tour. Morgan Hoffman, we, we mentioned the article. Uh, you can go read it on, on Golf Digest from Daniel Rappaport. Just an unbelievable story. For, for those that are listening that don't know, Morgan Hoffman played golf at Oklahoma State. He was one of the best amateurs in the world. Uh, was had his PGA Tour career up and running and discovered he had a, a rare form of muscular dystrophy, went to specialists all over the country and could, they could not figure out what was wrong. They eventually did. And I guess the muscle in his, in his pectoral muscle had just completely vanished. It just completely deteriorated, deteriorated and as a result, lost his swing speed and really just kind of fell off the grid and, and this article kind of details his life that he's living down in Costa Rica, doing a lot of holistic uh, healing. And he's, he's healing up that muscle through just non-traditional uh, medicine. And he has a certain amount of medical exemptions left that he has to use this year. And he's playing this weekend at the, the RBC heritage. There was a, he had a press conference. In fact, and I tweeted out the video from, from PGA tour. I would encourage everyone to go listen to it because you know, Colby life's not fair. And you get dealt a bad hand and, and Morgan Hoffman's been dealt a, just an unfathomable bad hand for, for a professional athlete at his age, no less. And it just seems like he has handled it with the ultimate grace and class and has a really good head on his shoulders. And I'm going to be pulling for him because I remember watching him at Oklahoma State and you were like, yeah, he, he had the look. He just he just looked like a PGA Tour golfer, good looking guy, good looking athlete and was one of the best players on the team. And he's had a wild journey to get to this point, but man, he's gonna have a lot of people pulling for him this weekend. Yeah, his story really made the rounds a couple of months ago uh, whenever Dan Rappaport went down to Costa Rica and really ingratiated himself in his lifestyle and kind of found out what he was doing down there. It was all this traditional medicine stuff, and it was different. It was unique. It was a little weird and quirky, and his press conference yesterday was a little weird and quirky, but, man, I'm rooting for him. I threw him in my DraftKings lineup this week kind of for sentimental reasons, hoping that maybe he's just in a good headspace, goes out and plays free, makes the cut. You never know, but Carson, he needs 238 FedEx Cup points in three starts to get full PGA Tour status for next season. Now, that is not going to be an easy task. Obviously, you win a golf tournament, that takes care of things. The chances of him winning a golf tournament after three years not playing professionally and uh, everything he's been dealing with physically, those chances are very, very low. But, I mean... He's, he's got three starts, and he's probably going to have to top five in all three of them, uh, and then it depends on how some ties go. So the chances of him getting his PGA Tour card are very, very low, but that doesn't mean that this is not an incredible story of perseverance, of doing it your own way, of taking control of your own life, of, you know, life gives you lemons, make lemonade, whatever you want to say about it. Uh, it's really impressive that he's gotten himself back to this point, and he was actually going to try to come back in March at the Honda Classic. He got in a motorcycle accident in December, broke his show shoulder broke some ribs so that set him back even further he just he's had a rough 
rough go of it, and he was the best amateur in the world for a period of time when he was at Oklahoma State, and he was on a, a path to stardom on the PGA Tour before he, like you said, was just dealt a bad hand. So uh, I will be rooting very heavily for him this week at the RBC Heritage. Hopefully we'll get to see some of him on uh, ESPN Plus and on Golf Channel, and uh, hopefully he can put some good rounds together and contend because I think the golf world would love nothing more than to see some some good performances from Morgan Hoffman. Yeah, and he, regardless of what happens, he seems totally at peace with with whatever happens. He's he's made a lot of money. Um, he's you know he's part owner of Grayson, who you know it's a golf apparel company. They sponsored the likes of Justin Thomas. He's he's part. He has a stake in that. So he, and I thought it was interesting in the article too. He just kind of talked about like the article kind of posed the question of is it even is it even worth playing on the PGA tour and all the stress that incurs if you're truly happy and he seems truly happy living the life that he's living down there. So it'll be fun to watch him uh, this weekend. Uh, speaking of Oklahoma state golf, Colby, uh, they got a big announcement today from uh, Eugenio Lopez Chacara. Am I saying that right? Yes, you are Eugenio Lopez Chacara. And it was a massive announcement. Carson, he's coming back. I can't believe it. I really can't believe it. Why is he coming back? Because they have the PGA Tour U program where these guys get a certain level of status by being finishing in the top 10 in, in the college rankings. And he was in the top three to five really all year, uh, Oklahoma State's best golfer. And he could have gone pro, Colby, and that seems like what most guys would, would do in his situation. Yeah, I think just about everybody in his situation would do that. Top five in the PGA Tour U, get exemption onto the Corn Ferry Tour for the rest of the season, get exempt into the Corn Ferry Tour finals, which are the playoffs at the end of the season where you can gain a PGA Tour status. And even if you don't do anything with that, you're still guaranteed an exemption into one of the international PGA Tours, Latino America Tour, McKenzie Tour, those tours. Uh, actually, I think the McKenzie Tour has become the form tour. But anyway, you're guaranteed a pretty good start to your professional career if you finish top five in the PGA Tour U. He currently sits at third, but the gap from third to fourth is the same as the gap from fourth to ninth. So he's almost guaranteed to stay in the top five. He must love Stillwater and he must love Coach Bratton and being a part of the Oklahoma State golf team because, I mean, he's given up a lot to come back, but it's different for everybody, right? In, in a world where everybody is turning pro early, maybe that doesn't work for everybody. Eugenio Chicarlo, Lopez Chicaro wants to come back and play another year. Come back and play another year. There's no cookie-cutter way to go about this. Uh, you know, just yesterday, a 17-year-old who's one of the elite players on the women's amateur side, she decided to turn pro, 17 years old. She's going to go to the Epson Tour and give it a shot. And then today, Eugenio lopez Chicara decides he wants to come back and be a fifth-year senior at Oklahoma State and forego his PGA Tour U status for this season. Now he'll be eligible for the PGA Tour U again next year, and you would assume that he'll wind up in the top five uh, and still get some of those same exemptions. It'll just all be delayed a year but there, there's no one right way to do it it's different for everybody he clearly felt like this was what was best for him and it is just massive massive news for Oklahoma State and Alan Bratton he's the number one ranked player in the country he's got two wins already this spring he's he's unreal so to get him back for another year as the catalyst for what is currently the number two ranked team in the country is just massive 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 for Alan Bratton and Oklahoma State Big time, and they're going to be hunting for a national championship this year, along with the uh, the Oklahoma Sooners. So that'll be that'll be a lot of fun to watch, and certainly a a huge get for Oklahoma State. They're a, they're a golf factory. He seems to be the the next one in line. So it's that's fantastic news for OSU golf. We got some uh, baseball to get to, Colby. How about Oklahoma State uh, winning the series off the Sooners in a dramatic fashion? You know, it seems like every time these two teams get together. 
there's kind of a, there's a wild walk-off and, you know, Oklahoma beat Oklahoma state with the kind of the walk-off uh, walk the last time they met. And now Oklahoma state uh, made a big comeback winning eight to seven uh, they erased a four run deficit in the final three innings uh, to, uh, to take the series from, from Oklahoma. Yeah, you know, kind of gave them their uh, – got their hopes up a little bit on Friday night in what was a close game. Kind of gave them one with a wild ending there and then took the next two. It's just Oklahoma State doing what Oklahoma State does, going out and winning another Bedlam series. Josh Holiday has been ridiculously dominant over the Oklahoma Sooners in his time at Oklahoma State, and this was just another one. They got the non-conference game a few weeks ago. That's exhibition. Ah, forget about it. Oklahoma State baseball, uh, you know, playing great. Be Wichita State last night. It's – Baseball is a sport. There's going to be ups and downs. It's not like Alabama football or something like that where you just go out and win every game you play. Some days a pitcher has an off day. We talked about that the night that uh, Oklahoma State lost to OU Carson a few weeks ago. Closer came in, wasn't feeling it that night. Hit a couple guys, walked a couple guys. He had a bad day. That happens in baseball. But over time, uh, the cream rises, and that's what happened with the Bedlam Series this past weekend. Another one in the win column for Oklahoma State. So always fun to, uh, to take down the Sooners. Well, from Josh Holiday, you could be like everyone else in that doesn't read right. You could be like everyone else in cash in, or you could be special. You have two choices. I didn't wake up and stay here all day long just to be like everyone else. And I didn't expect them to either. That was a hell of a win. Pretty great quote from, from Josh Holiday, who again I think is just a remarkable baseball coach and recruiter and, and leader of men. He just when he says stuff like that, he means it. You can tell he does. He seems very genuine, much like, you know, like a Mike Boynton type. And I just, I couldn't be more thrilled with the direction of Oklahoma State baseball with O'Brate Stadium. And I mean, how cool would it be, Colby, to have a regional <laughs> or a super regional, even, even better, at O'Brate Stadium with, with Josh Holiday at the helm? Oh, it would be unbelievable. I mean, O'Brate Stadium is, uh, it's an incredible park. We're getting up there, what, next Sunday? I just had a kid. My days are all out of whack. Today's Wednesday. Okay, yeah. Next Sunday, we're getting up to Stillwater. We're taking the baby up, getting her dressed in some orange and black, going to get some good pictures up there and go watch Oklahoma State play, I believe, TCU. Uh, so, yeah, looking forward to getting out to Obrate. The attendance this weekend was nearly 21,000 over three games. So, obviously, Oklahoma State fans uh, craving some, some great baseball at a great stadium. And, yeah, a regional, a super regional, which I think at this point are expectations for the season for Oklahoma State state those things should be coming and uh, i mean that was fun at alley p so at O'Bright, it's going to be an absolute party yeah that'd be yeah. awesome uh let's hear from chris university spirit your one-stop cowboy shop be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com we appreciate chris's and i'm sure you can go get you one of those interlocking osu baseball hats which again of all the great things josh holiday's done bringing back the original uniforms and the original hats i mean they're so so good. I mean, I would put them up there with any sport in terms of the best looking uniforms of the entire Oklahoma State Athletic Department. The fact he brought back the look reminds you just how bad their uniforms were when they had Frank Anderson. <laughs> those those hats were, were terrible. And now they're back looking. You look good, you play good, Colby. I'm a big believer in that. Look good, feel good, play good. That's how it works. And Oklahoma State does look elite. By the way, we got a tweet the other day. Uh, I don't have it pulled up. I wish I could credit whoever sent it, but said and wanted us to discuss that actually Oklahoma State softball might have the best uniform combinations of any sport. And I don't know, Carson, Oklahoma State softball, some power, power looks 
with the uniforms, some nice pinstripes, some good color combos. OSU baseball and OSU softball are both bringing the absolute heat in the uniform game. I do like the pinstripes that softball wears, and, and OSU was, baseball was wearing them as well. I, I think the pinstripes a good look, but you're right. The, the Cowgirls got some, some good combos as well, so that, that's, a, that's a close race there. Uh, time for bullets and BBs, Colby. I'll, I'll start with my bullet. Did you happen, since we're talking baseball, did you happen to see the 500-foot home run by Griffin Dorshing against Wichita State? Did you happen to see this clip? No, I did not. Sounds pretty awesome. It's, it's on OSU Baseball tweeted out. It's on pistols firing on the article talking about uh, Oklahoma State beating the Shockers in Stillwater. This dude, Griffin Dorshing, is a, he's a grad transfer from Northern Kentucky. He's originally from Wisconsin. He is an absolute unit. He is 6'4", 250, and he's got a blonde mohawk, a bleach blonde mohawk. And, he's, and he wears number 52. He's wearing like Ray Lewis's number. And he, he hits one over the left field uh, you know, structure out there, and you, you can't see the ball but they measured it at 500 feet. And that's something that I think had been missing from Oklahoma State baseball is power hitting. When Josh Holiday first got there, they didn't have a lot of power on their team. They didn't have a lot of big dudes. Well, this dude is a monster, and I can't wait to watch him as the season progresses. So he, he gets my bullet for that bullet he sent out over the left field wall. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a very good one. Uh, yeah, you love to see the highlights like that. For me, Carson, we talked about him quite a bit earlier. Uh, Morgan Hoffman is getting my bullet. Everything that he has gone through physically, spiritually, emotionally, telling his story and getting himself back into a position to play on the PGA Tour, I don't know what the results are going to be. Nobody knows what the results are going to be. And at this point, who cares what the results are going to be? It's impressive for him to do what he's done. Uh, you know, like you said earlier, Carson, life's not fair, but you've got to make the most of it. And that's what he's doing. And all the respect in the world goes out to him uh, for playing the bad hand that he's been dealt. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. I can't wait to watch him. I, I'm curious to see where his game's at after, after getting ready for the tournament. Uh, what do you got for BB? Uh, BB Carson, I'm, I'm struggling with coming up for it with a BB. I, well, I don't know that I'm giving out one a got, BB. One got tweeted at us from Tyler beats. He wanted us to give Tony Finau, uh, oh. a BB for his outfit. Uh, they wore at the masters that like awful sweater with the pink hat. You could use that, that one. Bad. I, I don't actually know that that was the worst outfit of the week at the masters. Did you happen to see what Jason Kokrak wore on Friday? I did not. It looked like somebody took a weird shade of green and then that shade of green threw up a different shade of green that was even weirder. And then that shade of green threw up an even weirder shade of green that was even weirder. And Jason Kokrak on Friday, I think was worse than whatever Tony Finau had on on the weekend, which was pretty bad. But now that you mentioned it, Carson, I'm just going to go Greg Norman with my BB. It's not Oklahoma State related, but this dude is just a bitter old man who keeps yelling at the clouds. And he, he thinks that this golf league that he has exists, you know, yesterday, they're talking about Bubba Watson. Bubba releases his schedule today, basically confirms that he's not going to go play over there. So I'm convinced that God, that Greg Norman's Saudi Golf League only exists inside the mind of Greg Norman, and he's just a bitter old man. So I'm going to give it to him. Yeah, friend of the show, Kyle Porter, compares the live golf thing to, like, Firefest. It's like all these false so promises. Good. and pr Oh, false, my God, that is so good. False commitments. Like, it's just a bunch of people talking with no real – action like just wake me up when an actual player says they're playing in it you know 
Yeah, exactly. Right now, the only guy confirmed to live golf is Greg Norman, and that's not going to be a big draw. Well, mine's not going to go to the Big Ten this week, unfortunately. Mine's going to go to the usage. These tweets just will not stop. I've been getting them for months now. Uh, Someone passed along, uh, Ryan the Great on Twitter passed along. Jelani Woods is a tight end prospect in the 2022 draft class. He scored an unofficial 9.97 at the Combine out of a possible 10. This ranked four out of 941 tight ends from 1987 to 2022. This guy is testing off the charts. We all know about the production he showed at Virginia. Boy, that would have been nice around the goal line against Baylor, which we all know what happened there. I think Oakland State's they got some work to do on the offensive line. Mike Gundy's a little questionable if they're going to have an actual spring game at this point because the, the offensive line numbers are, are down right now. But, man, Colby, we may be looking back at Jelani Woods when he's in the NFL playing like a Gronk or a, you know, a George Kittle type. If he becomes that good, it's, it's a massive BB. But I think no matter what happens, it was, it was an opportunity miss for Oklahoma State football not utilizing Jelani Woods better. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. It's – I don't think we can ever talk too much Jelani. Maybe we can. Maybe people out there are tired of hearing us talk about Jelani. But, Carson, I'm so fascinated to watch what he does in the NFL. And, and you know, I know we've talked about this before. So much of that league is situation. It's where you get drafted. Do you go to a good organization with a good GM and a good coach and a good quarterback? And there are outside factors that you can't determine, right? So, like, if he goes to the Jets, then he's probably going to be a bust because everybody who goes to the Jets is a bust. But if he goes somewhere where they can really utilize him, I mean, what if he goes out to the Chargers and he he plays with Justin Herbert and those guys? What if he goes to Cincinnati and and he's a a tight end opposite CJ Uzama and Jamar Chase and and T Higgins? I mean, this guy, what if he goes to, I don't know, Kansas City, play opposite Travis Kelsey in a two tight end system? I just, I'm really fascinated to see where he winds up and then what his career ends up looking like. Hopefully it, uh, hopefully it goes big time for Jelani and we can roster him in some fantasy football leagues down for that. I've been trying to tell people for years that he was underutilized and man, he's, he's, he's going to go much higher than even I anticipated. Uh, One little note here too: Jalen Warren, big 12 running backs with the most missed tackles forced in a season since 2014. You had David Montgomery in 2018, David Montgomery in 2017, and then Jalen Warren in 2021, he forced 85, uh, missed tackles uh, last year. And I think that just goes to show you that, you know, the offensive line was a work in progress and, and Jalen Warren made the running game go a lot of times just by forcing missed tackles. And he's, he's going to be missed. And they, they have a lot of talented young guys coming through the ranks, but it's just a, a worth reiterating how great Jalen Warren was in, in 2021. Hopefully he has a good NFL career as well. Yeah, I think that he will. And, you know, David Montgomery, I think that that's an okay comp for Jalen Warren. I don't know. They're not really exactly the same player. Uh, they do both force a lot of missed tackles. Again, it's about situation. Did Jalen Warren go somewhere like Chris Carson? We didn't expect Chris Carson to be a great player in the NFL. I mean, he he and Justice Hill, Justin Hill, Justice Hill got more carries Chris Carson's final year, but Justice Hill goes to Baltimore where he just gets buried on the depth chart. He finally gets to the top of the depth chart and then he gets injured. So he doesn't really get his chance. Chris Carson goes to Seattle where there's not really anybody to take the reins and he takes the reins. So hopefully Jalen Warren winds up in a spot where there's not, you know, two, three guys ahead of him that the organization believes in more than him. 
him because I think Justice Hill kind of got a raw deal in Baltimore getting buried on the depth chart. So, again, situation dictates a lot of things in the NFL. Hopefully Jalen Warren winds up in a good situation. Yep, it'll be fun to watch NFL draft rapidly approaching. When it when is the draft? Let me, let me look that up. Draft actually. is in uh, two weeks. It is twenty the twenty eighth of April is the first round. Are you a draft guy? Because I I watch every pick in the first two two rounds. I am okay. I was fixing to say I'm not a degenerate draft guy. I'm not sitting there on Saturday afternoon in the middle of the sixth trying to see what safety is going to my Dallas Cowboys. But night one, I will watch every pick. I uh, usually have a couple of buddies over. We have a few drinks uh, and hang out and watch that. And then I'll probably watch the second and third rounds on that Friday night. Uh, but I'll also be single dad that weekend. That's when my wife's going on her bachelorette party. So we'll uh, we'll see how I balance uh, having the baby all to myself and trying to keep half an eye on the draft. Yeah, they. Uh, it'd be unfortunate if the Dallas Cowboys are on the clock and it's it's feeding time or it's diaper duty time. But right. you can always hit pause. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We can pause live TV these days, so we're in business. Well, Colby, again, happy for you and your wife. That's so exciting to be a, officially a girl dad. Glad everything was. Everyone got home safe and sound, and uh, good to catch up with you and talk a little Masters. And uh, before you know it, you and I are going to be up in Tulsa for the PGA, and we'll have baseball to talk about as well as we progress. And then spring football's going to be here too before we know it. So it's good to catch up with you. We'll, uh, yep. we'll get back with you probably next week. Yeah, a lot of things heading our way. Good to be back. And as always, go folks.